Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. everybody and welcome to the first episode of season two of Pebble in the Pond. Today I can share with you a conversation I recently had with Phil Barker. He poses the question, what is broken inside men that is causing the death of more than one woman a week in Australia? Phil Barker is a Sydney-based columnist, public speaker and author. He's a former magazine editor and publisher of titles such as Vogue, Delicious, Inside Out and Donna Hay. When he's not working in his day job as a consultant, creative director and communication specialist, Phil is writing and speaking to start conversations on what has become and what seems to have become a personal crusade for him. Positive masculinity and being a better man. That's what Phil is all about and spreading the word. In fact, he's even published his first book, which is called The Revolution of Man and is available uh, for you to buy at the major book outlets. So tune in for our first episode of season two as Phil delves into what he believes drives men to violence and abuse, why there's hope men can turn around, and how we can end family violence. Hello everyone and welcome to the Pebble in the Pond podcast. I appreciate all the listeners and the feedback we've been getting lately and welcome today. I I have the privilege of introducing Uh, a person who's been uh, an Australian media icon, I guess, for the better part of, what, 25 years? (laughs) Phil, is that right? (laughs) I've worked worked in media. I think icon's a massive story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've I've drifted around Australian media for a while, yeah. Yeah, so Phil, do you want to just sort of give us a bit of background as to Mm. how you got to where you are today? Mm. When I was uh, uh, a kid at university studying law, um, this is how old I am, right? You can't do this these days. I wrote a letter to the editor of my local newspaper and I'm like, dear sir, as you can see by the quality of the writing in this excellent letter, I am an excellent journalist. <laughs> Bad sentence, right? Uh, uh, but I, I should like to work in your paper on the holidays when journos are away, you know, taking their Christmas. And I got an interview and I got a job. So by the time I'd finished my BA, I had a few months of journalism under my belt. Wow. Realised I wasn't a lawyer, I was a writer. And went on from there. And so I went, so my career career was completely media. Um, <coughs> I went right through to the point where I was running the magazine division um, uh, for News Corp, for the Murdochs. Yes. So that's Vogue and GQ and Donna Hay and Inside Out, lots of wonderful titles. Um, and no, I love my time in media. It was extraordinary it, and it gave me some of the skills to do what I'm doing now. Yeah, so <laughs> how did it get to this point where you gave up or w- w- did you give it up to the, the media role or did you just say you know what there's something something else that I'm, I'm called to be doing now in 2008 uh, there was redundancy packages drifting around um, news corp and so i could see the writing on the wall uh media exec- 
cricketers were not a lot. You were going to you were going to get shot in the head real soon. Like you'd see from the numbers, the internet was coming to get um, yep. print like you wouldn't believe. So I went out on my own in two thousand and eight, hired at the GFC, uh, did creative agencies, had my own creative agency, and the agency actually went horribly, horribly wrong. Went absolutely upside down, and. I'd been behaving in a very masculine, sort of aggressive, entrepreneurial way, as I always had. And it, we just screwed it up. It just went horribly, horribly wrong. And I lost everything, um, like financially, uh, a few years ago. And had to rebuild myself as a person and a human being. And what was I? And as I kept writing about men's issues, you know, I'd see the numbers of domestic violence, see the numbers of women who are killed um, at the hands of their partner every week. And it just, you know, I'm not the smartest bloke in the world, but it just occurred to me something was horribly wrong. And now five years later, after having written a book and um, uh, travelling on the road talking to men about this stuff, it's not just uh, important. It's a nation-building exercise and uh, it's a deep responsibility that all men who have thought about this stuff well need to talk to other men about it all the time. So as an experience of... uh some challenges you were going through in in your professional space you decided to then did you is it something that's always been close to you to come out and speak uh, about violence against women and and the men's role not really i mean i was i was just like every other guy i was just interested in making money getting a sports car getting a big house and (laughs) being the man you know Mm. and um but but somewhere along there i don't know if it's experience or just how, how i've come through life um i realized that you know, if I want to die happy, and it's a quite a selfish thing, then my relationships need to be amazing. And the thing that stands between great relationships uh, uh, and, and your happiness is, is this act of being a man, this, this, this mantle of masculinity that we carry around with us. And it took me, you know, from the ages, I suppose, of between 45 and 50 to work that out, and I'm 54 now. So, you know, long and slow. Yeah, yeah. So, so Phil, you've been, you've been a heavy advocate uh, heavy. You've been a, a very active uh, out there in the field of. I'm a bit overweight, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> men's role uh, and and the role that men play in domestic violence. Tell me why gender is at the heart of this. There is a. We live in a patriarchal society. We walk around in uh, men are born into and walk around in a sea of blue put our glasses on and see it properly, there's a performance of masculinity everywhere. It's incredibly powerfully policed uh, by men and other men in society. Uh, and it's incredibly dangerous. And after the work I've done you know, and, the, and the reading I've done, I've just caught up with everybody else. I just see it like, like all the women in the sector are seeing it too. It's, it's nothing that's particularly amazing. It's just amazing because I'm an old white male talking about it. <laughs> True. Yeah, well, it is. It's very true, and, and the stigma's been out there. Well, the stereotype, I guess, we should say, has been out there for a, a considerable time, generations, I guess. Would you agree? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I'd also think that that now now is the moment that we're finally looking at it, going, oh, there is something wrong with the act of being a man. Maybe what we thought we knew about gender and masculinity and femininity is a bit wrong, a little bit broken, and all I'm doing is looking for a more positive masculinity where. Sure, we can be brave and tough and strong and all those things, but to be male should also to be uh, to be masculine should also be empathetic, should be communicative, uh, all of those things that sit outside what it is to be a man. And and if we can bring some of those things inside, there'll be less domestic violence and less suicide, male suicide. 
Yeah, I mean, the statistics uh, are quite alarming. Uh, and I know that you've you've spoken about that. Uh, there's currently there's suicide rates for males. Uh, uh, six men a day. Six yeah. men a day, and and the number of women dying from more domestic than, violence. More than one a week. Um, as we're recording this, there's three weeks till Christmas, and uh, we're at 50 now. I think another one this morning, so that's 51. So we are going to beat one woman a year again in 2019, which is a disgrace. When, when you look at the statistics like that, I mean, because with it feels like there's more campaigning, there's more awareness getting out there, conversations are happening, but yet the statistics still aren't going in our favour. What's where do you think where do you think we're going? Long and slow. I think that, that there's going to be a massive lag between the stats and mm. a shift in in thinking in society. You know, I'm not a sociologist, so I don't know how long that sort of stuff takes, yeah. but certainly. Um, I, I likened it to, you know, people are smelling the bushfires so they suddenly understand climate change. Uh, we're mm. smelling the smoke around this stuff. We're seeing the numbers and, and it's not going away and suddenly, not suddenly, but, but you know, people are starting to take notice, people walking around in the street, you know, the quiet Australians as, as they're called around election time. Uh, and these are people who are not activists. These are people who are going, mm, there, there is something wrong because my cousin just got killed. You know, it's that specific. It is. It is an epidemic. Everybody knows someone who's involved in some way, either as a perpetrator or a victim, uh, and and we understand. Starting to, there's a growing understanding that it's a deep, deep problem in society. We we look at the typical Aussie bloke, uh, and th- there's been discussions previously that that you've uh, obviously been asked this question before, but. Toxic masculinity versus positive masculinity. Do, do you can you shed some light on uh, because not all masculinity is toxic. No. So I really dislike the term toxic masculinity because I think it's really easy to use that to undo the conversation now. So I, I don't even use the, the phrase myself um, when I'm writing or talking unless I'm addressing it. I, I use positive masculinity because. Uh, toxic masculinity, yeah, it says something. It's saying something horribly wrong with men. It's not wrong with men. There's nothing wrong with being a man. It is the performance of masculinity uh, that is a bit broken, and that's what we're we're looking for. Just just be a man in a different way. You can talk. You can be emotional. You can you can weep. You can be silly. You can cry, and all of those things are cut off from us at the moment. And you know, as I've able to bring more of that stuff back into my life personally. I've become a happier and happy person, happier and happier person. Like, people go, oh, you look younger than you did 10 years ago. And I'm like, I'm way happier than I was 10 years ago because I'm not going around pretending that I'm this big tough thing that can fix everything. Um, and it was failure that taught me that. Yeah. And, and now you're trying to share your story with the hope that people don't necessarily have to fail in order to learn. No, I just, I, I think, you know, th- there's, a, there's a lot of conversation out there. You know, I've got Jordan Peterson selling, you know, three million books worldwide, uh, telling young men to, that it's good to be a, be a man. Um, and I would like to do, you know, to put the, to, for it to be a national, international conversation, to put the equal and opposite position on the table and go, yeah, there's a way to be a man, but um, there's a way to be a man that is healthy and positive and safe uh, for those, for you and everybody around you, and you'll be a happier person as a result. And you'll have a better sex life too. Yeah, <laughs> that's a side bonus. <laughs> T- tell me, tell me about this, um, the box exercise. I thought it was really interesting. I know some people have heard of it, but some people definitely aren't aware of this. But it's such a simple yet mm. very effective way to see how people actually look at 
masculinity and what it, what it is to be a man. The remarkable thing about the man box exercise is its incredible consistency right around the world. So it's about 25 years old. It was developed in California. Really simple little thing, men working with, with groups of young men. So you just draw a box and you get the guys in the group, okay, give me the words that describe masculinity. And they are tough, strong, stoic, you know, doesn't ask for help, doesn't show any emotion, charismatic, a leader. Um, athletic. Uh, yeah, athletic, sporty, virile, good with the ladies, always sexually mm -hmm. available, you know, yeah, always sexually ready, all, the, all those sorts of things. And the amazing thing is you can do it in Fiji, you can do it in Norway, you can do it in England, you can do it in the States, and the same words come out, uh, African, like in African countries as well. Mm. Um, and the words that are outside the man box are empathy, communication, you know, loving, giving, all of those wonderful things that make us happy and give us relationships. So that is a really simple way. And then you, you, you get the boys to do one in a room and then you bring up another one. This one was from Finland two years ago. That's exactly the same as you guys, right? So, so something is happening nationally that is, that is forcing you to act in a certain way. And it's not a way that is healthy and, and positive. And when young men, specific, specifically at schools, like look at this sort of thing, they're a bit stunned. Like they, they've gone, bloody hell, I've been, I've been duped. I've been... I've been I've been having to act this way and I don't actually have to. So, yes, it's not reflected, you know, long answer. It's not reflected and changing in the numbers yet. Mm. But society is shifting definitely. There is more discussion. There is pushback against that too and I think mm. that that's part of the issue. But what, what is the answer? Stop. Stop doing it just because the numbers haven't changed. No, everyone keep going and the numbers will eventually change. Such a simple but effective and powerful exercise. I mean, because you're right, you, you get a group of boys, even – even adult men as well. I mean, you, you get to do yeah. that exercise, mm. and I mean, some of the, the the words that they would describe are very similar to that. I would assume, typically. My father turns eighty next year, and I reckon if I did it with him and his mates, it would be exactly same the same. Yeah. yeah. If we look at the solution, we, let's. In fact, if we go back to because a lot of these attitudes, would you call them, or or, or the behavioural choices mm. that people mm. are making. Is it because of a belief system that they've come up with? And do you think that belief system is embedded in either whether it's the family they're brought up in, the, the culture that's surrounding them, the community? Mm. Where, where do you think the beliefs, and do you agree that it's, it's embedded in the beliefs? Yeah, it's certainly born to it. I mean, I was born in the 1965 in New Zealand on a farm. So, you know, there's so much masculinity. We had to wear special boots to walk around. You know, like it, it, so so definitely how you come up, and and we all come up as young men in society, and we are told over and over again, don't cry, be a man. Like the the moment uh, a, a little boy cries, he's he's told he's picked up and he's given a pat on the head and go, you'll be right, buddy, you're not bleeding, you're fine. Little girl gets much more attention. He the message he is given from he's, he's an emotional mm. bloody three year old, and the message a little boy is given is toughen up, be a man, and you learn that real quick. You learn that by the time you're at, at primary school. Oh, that's so subtle, but yet, I mean, when I think back to even, uh, you know, some of the things I probably uh, subconsciously do, I mean, there's probably things like that that I would never have thought consciously that that was... There's a story that I tell called The Saga of the Sucky, and my little brother, little brother now, he's um, um, in his late 40s, he's a, a school principal in New Zealand, a progressive educator of a number, runs a number of schools, but when he was five, he was going to attend the same primary school that I was at the age of nine. So he was in the habit of carrying what we called a sucky, which was once a blanket, which became just a little bit of fabric. And when mum took it off him to wash it, he'd like face down on the ground screaming his head off. 
So I was very concerned that um, my little brother would be taking a sucky to school because that lack of manliness would rub up on uh, rub off on me as a nine-year-old. Like I was a nine-year-old man. I wasn't having no sucky going on with my brother, right? Yeah, yeah. So we were. It was. It was shearing. It was shearing shed. So all the stands are going super loud. And I grabbed the sucky off my little brother and just as the top was going on a um, pack of wool, I threw it in and sent it to Japan. <laughs> and, oh. and the top was sewed on and they didn't even say he was screaming, but no one could hear him. And then when Smoko came, um, I confessed. I was like, yeah, I did that. And I told everyone why, because would, he would take that sucky to school. And everyone was like, yeah, that's, that's probably good to rip that scab off. Well done. Like there was no, and the kid was emotionally scarred. He remembers it to this day. Like emotion creates memory. So do I. And it was purely because that was just a tiny example of a young, of a, of a tiny yeah. act of trying to be a man. You know, I, I did not want any emotional softness around me uh, whatsoever. So, um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I just, all I have to do is look at my own life and mm. the, the power of um, the, the the imperative that, that we act in a manly way. And to not have to do so now for me is is um, a joy, you know, like I, I, I really enjoy, it almost feels like I've taken a backpack off, you know, it feels, yeah. that, feels that good to me. Yeah, well, I mean, this, the work you're doing now, in fact, we'll get to that, we'll get to that shortly, but if we go back to the beliefs, so the, do you feel like coming through now, so the next generation coming through with some of the programs out there, do you feel like it's getting better, or do you feel like the beliefs is, and we've got to start earlier, I mean, it's getting noisier, right? So, so there is, like I said, there's a lot more chat, but there's danger of people going the other way. So you have your Jordan Petersons of the world, and as soon as, as soon as someone stands up and says to young men, "Here's some structure," he actually, I don't think you're a rapist. I don't think you're toxic. I think you're a nice young bloke. Just sort yourself out and tidy up your room. That's a really seductive message to young men because that's not happening um, from from the other side, from our side, I suppose. So I'm. That's what I'm trying to do you know, more and more aggressively. Is, is talk to people about that but uh yeah those 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 discussions i sort of lost my point you're gonna have to have to edit this bit <laughs> <laughs> but those the, those discussions are incredibly important and and need to keep happening uh, irrespective of, of the success of them i suppose yeah well it's mm. it, obviously it's ingrained in, in our culture from such an early age uh that i guess there is never a better time to address it than now uh yeah, yeah. Well, every I think you know the the opportunity is every occasion you possibly can. Um, you know, be that guy at the barbecue who says, "I'm sorry, I don't think that was a really great thing to say." Yeah, you're a Debbie Downer and you're a buzzkill and all that stuff. But you know, and you'll get called a pussy and you'll get called gay because mm. that's how that stuff's policed. But you may well make it more comfortable for one other man in that group to to join in and say the same thing, or two of them, and maybe they will say something next time. You don't know the ripple effect that's going to come out from you creating an environment where. Yeah, you've just pushed it one tiny bit. And if everybody does it, then, then change happens. That's how change happens. But, uh, yeah, like I am, um, I suppose, despairing of the, the power of the pushback because you know, men have to give up power to, to, for this to happen. Um, and the, the, the how everyone is sort of jumps on something like something negative, something um, oh, like Peterson or... AFL girl during the year, like it just if there's a if there's a moment to be a misogynist asshole, it's like everyone will jump on and go, yeah, oh, that was good, you know. That, mm. that, that's what it feels like to me. And, and there's one side and there's another side, and it feels like sometimes you're losing the battle for hearts and minds. Um, but I also think you know, the speed of these conversations, how they're happening, there's more and more of them. It's going to be it, mm. it, the change is going to come. We are going to look back in 50 years and go, man, 
we were barbaric on gender back mm. in the day in 2019. What a bunch of dicks. Mm. And did you face that when you, I mean, you've been very active with what you've been saying uh, and your beliefs and obviously it's out there with the book you've written mm. as well. Do you come across that as well yourself uh, with your circle of uh, sphere of influence with your mates and stuff? Is, is it, is it, was it hard for you to address? Oh, and see, that's, that's the, the sad thing, right? If I was a feminist writer, I would get Twitter, Facebook, direct messages every day from anonymous freaks telling me what vile, vile things they're going to do to my body, generally sexually. Um, and, and but, but also at the same time they'd tell me how no one would ever want to fuck me either, right? So that, that that's right? what Clementine Ford uh, and, and a lot of feminist writers get trolled like you would not believe. Me, I get called gay. Mm. I get called sort of a traitor to the cause, uh, 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 irrelevant, not really a man. So, so all I get is pussy and gay. Mm. That, that's about it. I don't get trolled. In this. You know, I'm not worried there's going to be some guy out the front of my house. Um, mm. And the feminist writers do have to worry about that. You know, yeah. It's really a thing. And, they, and, the, and the men's rights activists, they do pile on. Like I was kind of hoping that there'd be some sort of fuss at a bookstore or something, <laughs> but they, they didn't hate my book enough to, <laughs> to, to cause a for it to cause a fuss, which is a shame. I would I would have enjoyed that, but um, uh, certainly, yeah, that there is there is organised and, and active uh, pushback against public people, mainly women saying these things, not me. It's it's I've I've gotten away relatively unscathed. I don't look at it either. I don't look at any yeah. comments. I don't care. Yeah. Do you notice your uh, the your social circle has changed as a result of you. Like, uh, I know with me, when I stopped drinking eight years eight years ago, that all of a sudden the people that were around me uh, no longer wanted to invite me around. No mm. because I wasn't someone that would go around and have a beer at a barbecue. I mean, yeah. I was happy to have a water, but mate, they still uh, there, there was a bit of a change there as yeah, well. Yeah, well, so even that, even that in itself is. Um, not quite a very manly act, like not drinking heaps and heaps of beer all yeah. the time is, is a little bit unmanly, and I'm sure you, you, you've heard things like that. My circle has been... Um, my, I've got sort of two circles. The, the older group, the ones I came up through work with, are certainly... There's a little bit of confusion and... Um, like you really? Do you really mean that? Like, is, <laughs> like, are you just trying to sell some books, or is that like? Do you think there's crazy feminist shit now? And uh, I have to go. Yeah, I do, man. And not only that, it is it is a responsibility, and I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Um, oh, but we used to have the list of the top five hottest chicks at News Corp. Yeah, we did. <laughs> you know, but uh, I've changed. You know, I, I'm. Yeah. I, and it's not. I was never in a particularly massive harasser. Like I had, yeah. f- I had four hundred. Um, no, that sentence sounded terrible. <laughs> there was n- uh, I, I had 400 direct staff, uh, direct reports, um, and most of whom were women at, at News Corp. And when yeah. the hashtag Me Too hit, I, I had to think, you know, was there anything there that I thought was hilarious as a 35-year-old manager that now has turned out to be something really, really terrible? And, and there has been you know, nothing come out that I've particularly felt ashamed of. Uh, I do tell the story of um, walking out onto the sales floor at news mags, news magazines, and uh, it was Friday, and saying, "Okay, um, I had the sales director with me. He was a man. All the sales sales people themselves were women, of course." Uh, and we would go, "Okay, you, you, and you, and everyone knew who, what we were talking about because it was lunch with a particular client, and the rule was two button rule. The girls had to had to a little bit of cleavage um, because we all knew that the client." Like that. Now, when I wrote that sentence, I rang everyone, every one of those women who I could find, uh, and I found them all, um, who had come, the two-button rule, and they are, you know, some of them still working in media, some. Not one of them said to me, she said, they were all like, I don't have any problem with it, we knew what we were doing, I wanted my commission, I wanted the money, we were a team going to do stuff, and that was that was what we did, right? Mm. 
but I, but I said, you know, did you feel put upon or anything? And like some of them were like, no, not really. I just felt I was glad I was picked, to be honest. But they all were like, looking back, that was horrible. Yeah. So and 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 the people listening and the people who weren't not asked. So so I can't say that there was no trauma around around that sort of thing. But then it was just me. It was you know, and and this is the other thing, the back in the day excuse. It mm. was different back in the day, but it's still no excuse. But yeah. it was like no one was calling HR. Like, <laughs> quite the opposite. And when when we had the um like uh, the twentieth anniversary um, uh, celebrations for NW magazine that I used to edit. Like there was uproarious jokes from all the women there about how HR would have had to close the place down and things were coming out of people's mouths, mainly the women. And and yeah. you know I was part of that environment too. So, yeah. um, absolutely, you know, you, you do change and you can change. And um, looking at things and thinking about things and wanting to live in a better society in a better place, uh, just because you've been a white male doing doing yeah. work and other things doesn't mean you can't start to talk about this stuff. But only two men, by the way. I, I have nothing to say to women about feminism or anything like that. I only have things to say to men yes. about their attitudes to women. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned Me Too movement. Uh, do, do you think that that has been a, uh, an, a an opportunity for men to have a discussion, to self-reflect and say, well, gee, when we look at this and we start hearing these stories out there by all these women coming forward, like, oh, this is crazy the way we've been acting. Do, do you feel like it's actually helped? Not really. I think there's been a massive pushback as well. I, yeah. think, I think managers are, you know, uh, to be honest, you know, risk and mitigation is a, is a key part of management. And um, I would be very, very careful about, you know, sexual politics in any, any division that I was running um, yeah. to, the, to the point of the detriment of the women because they wouldn't get to be mentored by men. They wouldn't get to be in the rooms men because I would just go nah, no, no one's going to HR in my department we're just doing our work none of this rubbish yeah. um, but it would be to the detriment of women because they're cut off from their place at the table because of that yeah mm. so it's almost like uh, to some degree the men had the fear about mm. what might happen yep. and didn't want to put themselves in that position yep. where it could jeopardise them or their career for most you know, for a lot of men who don't think about this sort of thing it seems very I think it f- seems very sort of knee-jerk, it seems unnecessary, and ever they're all wandering around confused, saying, I used to be able to say nice dress five years ago, what is going on? You know, yeah. You know, but, but the answer is, it wasn't, a good, it wasn't a good environment back in the day. It felt okay to you, because you weren't the one being abused. But So yeah. you know, let's have a think about the other people around us, which is you know, something that men struggle to do. How much do you feel like the older generation uh, it has a part to play in this, and do you feel like it's harder to change? Their attitudes, as it is, the younger generation coming through, or you feel like it's the, the problem's a problem and we've got to address it no matter who you are? I think it's really difficult the older someone gets. And I was sort of joking with a friend, you know, I don't know, how many isms are you allowed if you're 75? You know, how, how, you know, my dad, he's a pretty open <laughs> dude, but he's got a couple of ism, isms around him. Um, I'll, I'll use my dad as an example. Um, certainly, I have shifted and changed his thinking over the years, but I've had the opportunity to have him read my book. And to have had years of consistent conversations with him, it took that long. It took that much, Mm. just me and him, um, to undo what he was born into and what he learned as a young man, what was bashing to him about what it meant to be a man. Now, he was a Christian, and he was also a non-drinker. So in the society we lived in, we were the weirdos. And I I really 
you know, I was uncomfortable at his lack of manliness. You know, he was almost a sensitive guy. He was a big, tough farmer, but he was sensitive and open because it came from his spirituality, right? Uh, and I was very uncomfortable with that. I wanted him to be much more tough like, like the other guys. But as it's turned out, he's happy, healthy, alive, living a great life with mum still. They're still deeply in love. They drive right around Christchurch on the electric bikes, doing, having fun. And I, and I see that as a direct... There's a direct line between how he has lived his life emotionally and openly to um, his his health and happiness now. But yeah, shifting some things in his head, uh, bright open man that he is, still took some years. So that's why I think it's a big, hard, difficult conversation. You know, the 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 sea of blue that we walk around in is so incredibly powerful and, and persuasive and pervasive that that it's going to be incredibly difficult for young men to get their heads out from underneath it and see what's really going on in, in full colour. And to a degree subconscious as well that it's just been ingrained that they're probably not uh, to some extent not aware of some of the things mm. that they're saying or mm. doing that, that actually are part of that. I'll give you an example. Um, I still struggle with this. If I see a toddler little boy I'll go, g'day little buddy, how you doing? You're on a nice truck. And then I'll see a little girl, hey sweetheart, how you doing? Like, I, I, Talk I differently. struggle on, even now to, to not speak differently to, to little boys and little girls. Um, there is a there is a 1970s experiment um, where they dress children neutrally, uh, or they they tell tell the tell mothers and fathers in the room that, that boys are not girls the other way around. They mix them up, and there's a nine degree indifference of the steepness of a slope that they will let the boys and girls climb down. So a little girl tries to climb down the slope, they'll go, oh, you'll fall off, darling. Come on, save yourself. Little boy goes down the same slope. They're like. Well done, young fella. Nine degrees of difference Ooh. in what, the, and there is no difference in the motor skills of, of baby boys and baby girls. So even then, even even when you're wearing yeah. your blue nappy or your pink nappy, there's assumptions being made about who and what you are. So, man, that is deep, yeah. hard stuff. It's psychology. It, it's wired into it. It's bashed into us. It's not mm. wired into us. See, I don't think it's wired into us. I don't think it's part of our genetics. I don't think just because you know, like I, at a writers' festival, a guy stood in front of me and. And you know, I, like, I like to work out and stuff. And he goes, "Look at you, you know, you know, it's in you. You're a man." You know, and I go, "Yeah, it may be that I can, you know, bench press whatever, but <laughs> you know, that's just physics. You know, it doesn't make me want to hurt somebody. You know, my yeah. partner, you know, she does boxing. She's strong woman. She wanted to knock me out, and I wasn't looking. She could in a heartbeat. <laughs> so it's nothing to do with with with, with being a man and, and our physical differences. And our, you know, our brains are not wired up different." You know, we learn to be assholes. We weren't born like that. Mm. That's really interesting. And, and even that example you gave before with the young boy and girl, it's not just uh, the clothes they wore, but the probably the tonality, the words you use uh, as well towards oh, the, them. The so, the there's so many yeah, different The soothing facets. words, the emotional words. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a shock for, you know, it's the, the tiny little, you know, one and two-year-olds, you know, you do get picked up and soothed when you're a baby, but there is a moment in a young boy's life, you know, two and a half, three, all over, scrape your knee, ma, 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 start crying, and you get told that you're a good, yeah, yeah, come on now, come on, you're a big boy, harden up, now you'll be fine. And your sister of the same age is treated completely differently. Mm. You have the same nerve endings in your knee, you have the same urge to cry when you're hurt and feeling emotionally traumatic, but as a little boy, you, you tamp that shit down, you do not do that. Now, what is the result of that in 25, 30 years? What is happening in the kitchen as a result of that young man not being able to communicate properly and all the rage and all the violence that he's tamped down inside of himself because of his years and years and years of, of uh, pretending to be a man. Mm. Yeah. If, 
as we go towards, so we've obviously we know there's a big challenge out there. There's a, a, a bit of a, a problem around there, uh, out there. Sorry, with regards to the identity of what it is to be masculine. What are some of the solutions? What What do you feel like are some of the the ways that we can uh, try and help? Uh, eradicate domestic violence getting to that extent anyway so what are some coping mechanisms or some other solutions that you feel like um i, th- I think education is incredibly important i think schools starting to look at this stuff what is gender is incredibly important but it comes down to a government level it comes down to governments understanding that you know gender is dangerous in terms of male suicide and domestic violence and resources and time behind it you know at this conference um, today we've already resources have been a major discussion so mm. some 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 will and understanding at government level but in the meantime it's these it's the conversations it's the one-on-ones it's 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 the you know i told a story of, of giving a, a book to a um, young man in a hotel because he'd been reading jordan peterson and so i i gave him my book to have so there's an ongoing conversation back and forth or a balanced argument yeah or a balanced <laughs> argument so i just said to him just just you know i don't want to persuade you one way or another well i do but all i want you to do is just open your mind and just have some of this in as well. Um, and it's interesting, every time I have these conversations, a lot of the young men say, I don't see or hear anything from the other side. Like, there's, there's only you know, the, the men's rights activists online, there's only, I can only find, when I'm, if, if I Google be a man, what is it to be a man? Like I don't find good things, I find bad things. Mm. And you know, that, that's a problem. So look, I haven't been very positive today, but you know I think long yeah. and slow, and I think we need to continue. And I think it's it's one on one conversations, and it's the big conversations like we're having here. You know, three hundred, mm. three hundred fifty people here at the at Surface Paradise and the Marriott for Stop Domestic Violence Conference twenty nineteen. Um, you know, this is the converted. These are people working hard in this area, um, but again, they're all going to go out strengthened, you know, emboldened, empowered. empowered by what they've done with different thinking, and out into the world and, and make a difference. So even mm. this, you know. You can see a direct line from from the discussion of these moment conversations to saving a life. There is a direct line. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, I mean, they say leaders go first. And so do you think, I mean, yourself definitely consider you a leader in doing this stuff as well and being out there and being so proactive in this area. But how do we take that from the conversation to action and how do we drive change from the conversations? And is it about not only empowering people but saying that it's okay to go first because it is that fear yeah. when you get one person in a sphere of mm. people mm. who's going first because it does take courage to speak out which in fact is probably more masculine than staying quiet. Well, you've put, you've, I, 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 every time I say that, no, you've, you took yourself there. It, there's a real, no, it's good. It's <laughs> real, there's a, it, it, that's the point. There's a real irony is, is, is that the most sort of brave thing you can do, the most proactive thing you can do is be the person that stands up and, and says the thing and says, I don't think that's appropriate. Or, or is the per- and then you open yourself to all sorts of abuse. So it's a brave, brave thing to do. And bravery is one of the core man box things. Yeah, so there, there's an irony there, there's no doubt. But, you know, uh, which leads us to neatly, you know, there is nothing wrong with masculinity. You know, there's nothing wrong with, with the strength element of masculinity, but there is a strength element to femininity. Like, I don't see a lot of difference, I've got to say. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just talk about good people, you know, and, and good people, uh, you know, good people are strong, good people have a lot of the, you know, the classic masculine qualities, I suppose, but good people are also caring and empathetic and all of that. And it seems, well, like when you talk about it like this, it seems so common sense. But yet it's not until you're actually 
elevate or pull yourself out of it and look at it like this, whether it's the man box thinking or whatever it, the, the, the process that you do, to see, well, hang on, it, that is crazy. What? When, we're, when we're sitting, myself and my partner are sitting at home watching TV or something, and, and the poor woman, she's, she's overwhelmed by the stuff, like these conversations all the time. So, mm. so I'll, I'll say, God, that guy's man boxing it. We'll use it, <laughs> we'll use it uh, as shorthand. But if you listen to commentary on TV, if you listen to film, if you listen to the, the, what's written, and you know, really it's quite some, it, the idea of be a man, gender is right through our media. And it, it, when you're thinking about it and you're seeing it, it's just got bang, bang, bang flags all the time men are like this women are like this men are like this women are like this again and again and again through our media as well and it's not true it's disinformation uh, it's to sell you know pink and blue is to sell products to um new, new parents it's got nothing to do with gender mm. Mm. and that awareness itself is i mean just to be able to look at that i mean you must look at this stuff like you just said with the lens now that you just see it everywhere in and you can actually easily look at it and then really break it down and say hang on mm. that's that's man boxing or all the yeah. but that it's it's a blight isn't it <laughs> yeah it's a <laughs> i don't like seeing it because it's 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 so real and it's so true yeah. and it, it's the world that my 20 year old daughter's going to grow up in and, and you know people i love and know yeah. um and it is the other thing about it is that once you see it and you start working there and talking about it a responsibility to keep going so i almost feel like i've got no choice in this like i have yeah. to have to have to do it and keep talking so that there's more of me how are you seeing these uh, i know we mentioned before that everyone's distracted a lot more nowadays but i mean seeing the behavior mannerisms and attitudes of the younger generations towards women are you seeing uh, are you seeing it just as uh, as as dominant as it was when you were growing up, are you seeing that it's actually worse? Do you feel like it's getting better? There's a pol real polarisation. There are some fabulous, excellent young men out there who are thinking yeah. and have been touched by this and their, their parents, whatever, whatever influences in their lives they've, they've had. There are also other groups of young men, particularly, um, you remember the incident on the tram in Melbourne, you know, the, the, the young men singing the song, I wish all the girls were blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Weirdly, I actually know the song because I went to a boys' school in the seventies, right? That's and, and so, so in, in the seventies and eighties. So that song is still being sung in twenty nineteen, mm. and it's just about how you know you want to have sex with thousands and thousands of girls, basically. But they sounded out loud, sung it out loud in a tram, like not even thinking, not even thinking about the effect it would have on everybody else. Just that entitlement that, that they were holding on to to that that manliness, and and, and the ringleader. Would have been the most happy. He was the most manly. You know, he would. He, he was risking suspension to be seen to be to be a tough bloke. So, I, I think it's polarized, and I think it's it's. You know, the, it used to be sort of everyone was kind of the same, but now there's people hardcore pulling back against change, and there's people pushing hard for it. Do you feel like schools and the school environment is is the the perfect place that these conversations, other than at home in your living room with your parents as you're growing up, obviously? Mm. But do you feel like the next best place is through the schools and, and the programs that they're doing and the government should be more active in that. Yeah, and look, I absolutely do. And, and look, I'm not an educator, but I'm, I spent a little bit of time in schools this year talking to young men. And the privilege and the opportunity opportunity that it is, like, you know, I was talking to a group of young men about pornography and we were talking about the use and they were all very happy to stand up and in the room and say they'd used porn in the, porn in the last day or two. But by the end, I said, can everyone stand up who has a slightly different understanding of the effects of pornography and the effects of 
in society not seeing women as equal human beings to us. And now the entire room stood up, and I know they're trying to be good guys, but I'd had them for an hour and a half, and got you know you'd get to know mm-hmm. them, and, and 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 you could see two or three had gone, oh, oh, oh shit, yeah. okay, you know, and, the, the, and it only landed with two or three or four maybe. Um, the rest of them we just you know, wanted to go to weight training straight afterwards. <laughs> yeah, but but the fact that it had landed and we could talk about that for an hour and a half in the room and it not even be there's no it was not even much giggling about porn mm. from the start. And I thought it was funny too. Welcome to porn classes, boys. You know. Yeah. Um, but it, the, what was you know, filled my heart with joy, man, is is that that the, these these young guys um, are open enough to go. Ooh, okay, I'm behaving in that way. And I, I challenged them. I said, imagine if the core thing about your school key sort of brand association with your schools that when the king's boys go to a party they treat women well they're not the ones who do things to a drunk girl in the bedroom you know mm. it's the other dirty boys from the other dirty schools mm. that do that yeah can you guys say you're different no mm. you can't no so so that doesn't sit with you yet here you are leaders saying here you're you know, all of these things so maybe have a little bit of think about your attitude to women in life and and it's, it was not something that had been in front of them before something they jumped onto and really sort of understood so yeah schools young people groups community groups education yeah i was about to ask you is it an all boys school because mm. uh and, and do you think there's a, a different i mean i went to an all boys school mm. but I, I also feel like um that to some extent i was disadvantaged a little bit because you sort of you see the co-ed schools and you get, you, see, you know, I mean, they, got, they learn to, to go to school with women and they, they sort of have the opportunity to interact a lot more. Do you feel like that's part of the culture as well? Because, I mean, there's a great yeah. opportunity to yeah. go and educate all boys schools yeah. because they need to learn about this stuff. But do you also feel like that's part of the environment? Yeah, I, I think that's I think those boys schools specifically really have trouble with that, which is yeah. why they're talking about it. But I also think um, you, know, you, just, you just have to walk around town, you just have to be on a bus, you just have to, yeah, you know, the things that are coming out of young men's mouths, um, whether they go to school with women or not, is utterly extraordinary. And they learn it from, from other young men. You know, Tim Winton, um, a writer I adore, he, he, he writes about you know, this moment, he's surfing WA out the back of the break. There's 15-year-old boys and surfboards beside them and the things that are coming out of their, their mouths, you know, they can't have thought up themselves. Mm. They learned it. And he's despairing and he called it, you know, pulling on, uh, 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 what is it, like the, the uniform of the shithead army. Mm. Uh, and it is, it, it's, a, it's almost a uniform, it's a performance, it's, it's to, to show that, yes, I am a man and I am, do have value in society. And to be fair, they're probably a product of their environment too, right? But they've probably learned that from someone, mm. uh, so they're probably unconscious to some mm. extent about the damage that they could be doing as yep. well, or yep. the yep. future damage that this could be doing. And to themselves, you know, for their own yeah. happiness. You know, I know when, when I'm talking to groups of young men, I, I deplore, uh, uh, look at their selfishness. I say, if you don't care about, you know, the bloody environment, you don't care about the, how people are living in the future, if you only care about, you know, your own happiness and your own good sex life, then still. Yeah, you need to turn your attitudes around to make yourself yeah. happy. Because if you live this little life, you're going to die a lonely asshole. You really yeah. are. And no girl is one going to have sex with good sex with you. Mm. Now, what is good sex is is a really interesting. That really gets them, by the way. Yeah. You talk to a good man, to a young man, and tell him that 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 he will have much more fun when she is his friend and they respect each other. You know, they don't have to be bloody getting married. You know, let's yeah, be, yeah. You know, But but rather than she's just an object. Yeah. You know, if there's some communication, you know. You'll have way more fun, and they're like, "Oh, they're packing that away big time." Yeah, that's yeah. that's an interesting thing for them too. Mm. Yeah, what a great point. Mm. 
you've been you're from a rural community, uh, very proudly, obviously as well. Uh, tell me, have you seen any differences with rural communities versus urban communities and the masculinity or their identity about masculinity? Well, I've got to say, I got out of rural. Zealand as quickly as I could, I was gone by the time I was about 16, oh, <laughs> I was right. about okay. as urban as I can possibly be. Uh, but um, well, I Even I, now, are you doing much out there with the country? Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm, tra- yeah, I'm travelling to, to rural areas now talking, uh, uh, and absolutely in, in, in country areas there is, you know, the, I think it's 40% worse male suicide. Um, I can't put my finger on the uh, domestic violence stats, but I guarantee worse out there just purely because more masculinity, harder policed, more isolation, less chance to rub up against different thinking. And so there, yeah, the numbers do show mm. where masculinity has got a bigger foothold, there is more death and violence. Yeah. yeah. And so access to services, access to education, awareness uh, and stuff out there is important. Yeah, um, because the, the, you know, they don't have that. And that's exactly why those numbers are and why, that, why they are and why, you know, Shepparton and Wigodonga and yeah. councils like that are, are getting people to come and talk because they understand on the ground. They see their own community and go, ooh, mm. there's some horrible stuff going on out here and, and it appears to be from the act of being a man. So what are we going to do about that? Male shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it and why does it exist? It is uh, what comes from not being able to fulfil what's in the man box. So if you're not... All of those things, tough, strong, stoic, charismatic, lover, good-looking, leader, all of those things that are inside the man box, you have failed in the act of being a man in some way. Um, Men can never talk about their shame, but male internalised shame and the rage that comes from that at at not being the biggest man in the world, the best manliest man in the world, um, does directly result in in, um, domestic violence and and male suicide. There's just just no no doubt about it. Mm. And it is worse in the country by far because of those um, you know, deep masculine things that are so embedded there. Phil, as we move into the future, as we move, uh, obviously you've done a lot already. You've, uh, te- in fact, just tell us about the book you've you published as well, and 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 then also tell us about what lies ahead for you. Um, my book is called The Revolution of Man and it, yeah, it bubbled out of, I was asked to write it um, off the back of some columns that I'd written about domestic violence and suicide. So I sort of pitched this idea to the publisher and I'm like, yep, yeah, we, we, we like it. And the idea was that, that I'd go from sort of babyhood to, to death. And, and so the, the, the right across the, the gamut of manhood, you know, being a good, you know, like being a man, becoming a better man, being a better man, you know, growing across your life. Um, so we're across um, porn, food, relationships, fatherhood, domestic violence, uh, cover all, all of the areas that, 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 that masculinity touches. Uh, and it has been you know, a, an amazing self-education task, so a wonderful thing in my life because of that, much happier because of it. Um, going forward, uh, for me it's all about more content more books more things like this more podcasts more conferences more yep. opportunities to have the conversation um and the reason being that, that you know, if just one person that, that we talk to or touch um in, in this process has a little turnaround in their thinking that results in them being ultimately a different person that does not kill the person in their kitchen in 15 years time then it has been a successful exercise mm-hmm. 
So getting out there, creating more awareness, mm. ke- keeping on with the campaign and the crusade that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, do you also, are there any, uh, is, has anyone inspired you along this way? Has there been someone that you can, or a couple of people that, that you've seen and thought, well, you know, that's that's the inspiration that's used you to drive you to want to do this? What's No, but the people I, I run into, I work with now, like Jess Hill, who wrote um, the book, See What You Made Me Do, what, what a piece of work, four years of deep, hard research, and you know, that is the leading authority as far as I'm concerned on domestic violence right now, but it's in, in a popular way, so it's incredible. It's really continuing the conversation. Um, and I just run into, just uh, there's a bloke called Tom, I've forgotten his last, last name from Tomorrow Man, it'll come back to me, sorry Tom, um, who, who, who I'd shared the stage with a couple of times, who was just so passionate and, and, and so delighted to be doing what he's, what he's doing. So you, know, you sort of describe this as a crusade, and I don't want to sound like some sort of, <laughs> I don't know, religion priest or something like. Yeah. For me, it, it's fun. I love it. It's yeah. it's a joy. Like it's it, it's it's the first time in my life that I've ever done anything that is doing something good in society rather than you know running pictures of Pamela Anderson. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm I'm delighted to be doing this, and, and it is always a positive. And, and and so and personally, you get massive. You know, you, you get back from it so much, um, just knowing that 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 you know the effect of the work may have changed some young hearts and minds so no no this is this is it's a it's an absolute joy to be doing that and it feels like it's the first time i've done something important in my life and isn't it interesting that you're the happiest you've been and you're really pursuing this and it's something that obviously resonates highly within you yeah it does because I'm, I'm as i say i'm i'm a 55 year old white male and i've lived um you know a very performance of masculinity life and it's still dogs me to this day in various ways um, but I'm glad to have gotten rid of it I want to help other men get rid of it and if enough of us can get rid of it then more women will be alive and more of us will be alive and everyone will be happier yeah bit of a win-win really isn't it it's, <laughs> you've really made that so simple and uh, but yet so powerful and Phil uh, one of the things I was most looking forward to talking to you today is about you know, it, in this space, it requires, as I said before, leaders to lead. And and you're certainly someone who's out there, uh, rubber on the road, that's actually out there doing something about this. And so we need more people like you out there that are doing this. And we appreciate the leadership that you've shown, but also the influence that you're having out there on as a role model for younger men uh, and for all men out there, actually, for that fact. And so we want to thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, mate, thank you very much. It's, as I say, it's... Uh it's a nation-building exercise, and I'm delighted to be part of it. So thank you. Thanks for joining us. And uh, you got any final words you want to say? Is there anything you want to round off with? Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't try to be a man. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> be a man? No, don't be a man. Yeah. Be a great person instead. There we go. Summed it up perfectly. Phil, thanks very much for your time and your, and your conversation today, and thanks for coming to the conference and appreciate it. Thanks so much, mate. I've enjoyed it a lot. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.